0: 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as you, uh, as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another man buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man build upon this foundation gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. First Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bibles this morning, we have witnessed in John's story a living example of a dynamic in Christianity that is noteworthy. The dynamic is that we do not fulfill the commission of Jesus Christ as individuals. We fulfill the commission of Jesus Christ as a team. A team of people working together to accomplish the work that God has sent us to do. The bottom line up front, the bluff of the morning message this morning is we can do together what we can't do as individuals we can do together what we can't do as individuals being part of a team and knowing the role you play on the team and working as a team enhances the team's ability to win we don't need what we used to call them hot dogs, ball hogs, the ones that had to be the star they were the only one on the team that was important because they had the most ability and usually when that happens, the team doesn't do very well. Because it takes a team to be able to accomplish something of great value. And we are not individuals trying to fulfill a commission Jesus gave to us. We are a team. And being a part of a team and knowing where to fit into that team and, 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 and what we can contribute to the work of that team gives the team a much greater degree of certainty that the team is going to win the game. The team is going to do well. The team is going to look good on the coach because they played well as a team. In Corinth was a church, but the church wasn't playing together as a team. The city of Corinth was a tough city. It was located on the crossroads of world travel of its day. It was the center of politics, international trade, and international sports. A guy by the name of Shaw, a Bible uh, student and author, said of Corinth, he wrote, "...at night its streets were hideous with brawls and lewd songs of drunken revelry. In the daytime its markets and squares swarmed with Jewish peddlers, foreign traders." Sailors, soldiers, athletes in training, boxers, wrestlers, charioteers, racing men, betting men, slaves, idlers, and parasites of every description. A veritable pandemonium. Corinth, the the, the worst of the worst of the Roman Empire boasted religions of the world with Aphrodite and Athena and Apollo. Even the gods of Egypt were there, Isis and Serapis. Every known religion that man could make up was present. Every known vice and sin was marketed. It was a licentious, wicked, wicked city. And in that city, the power Of the cross made its presence known. A missionary went to that city, preached the Word of God. Souls got saved. Chrysostom, an old historian, said it's a city the most licentious of all that ever were or ever have been. He said it was from such corruption that the Apostle Paul preached the gospel and people got saved. When he wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians to these converts that had been rescued from such a wicked lifestyle, he described them and he said, And such were some of you. You were living in that debauchery of a culture. You were just like them. And such were some of you. But something happened. The power of the cross is what happened. The message of Jesus Christ's death on the cross of Calvary to pay for the sins of those people was preached to them. People came under conviction of the power of the Spirit of God, realized they were sinners. They were on their way to hell. Their hearts broke under the weight of conviction of sin. They turned to Christ and were gloriously converted. He said, and such were some of you, but you're now, you're washed, you're sanctified, you are justified. God had radically changed their lives with the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And now this church family is just a few years old. And the culture that engulfed them in their unsaved state was a constant challenge to them in their Christian state. And they're struggling. They're struggling to represent Christ in such a wicked culture. And so little by little, the world crept into the church. Hero worship. Immorality, marital breakdown, false beliefs, all took their toll inside the church membership at the church at Corinth. They needed to see themselves once again as a team. They needed once again to see themselves as people who influence one another. And that if they're going to give God the glory that's due His name. If they're going to evangelize their communities. If they're going to do what God set them out to do as a young church. They must see themselves as a team. Built together. Strong together. Being able to accomplish together what they could not do individually. The Apostle Paul spoke ...of them in the very opening chapter of this letter. You may want to flip back a couple of pages... ...to chapter 1 and verse number 10... ...where, where the apostle Paul wrote to them... ...said, so Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ... ...that ye all speak the same thing... ...that there be no divisions among you... ...that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind... and the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren... ...by them which are of the house of Chloe... ...that there are contentions among you... Now this I say that every one of you saith, I'm of Apollo, I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. And he went on to describe them as a divided church that were weak. The team wasn't working together as a team. And so he wrote this letter. In this letter he addresses a number of issues. But I want us to focus on his emphasis and his challenge to them to be a team. How does a team spirit impact the work of the team? How does a the team spirit in a church impact the work of a church? Two pictures emerge from this passage I read a few moments ago. The first picture is a picture of problems. You see, in verses 1 to 3, the verses I read portray them as a carnal people, a spiritually immature people. He said, I I would have liked to have written unto you as spiritual people, but you're not spiritual. You're carnal. You're like babes in Christ. I've had to feed you milk because you're not capable of eating steak. So I've got to give you just milk, pablum, because that's all you can handle. You've never grown, you've never developed spiritually, you're not spiritually robust. And you're not working as a team of spiritually robust people. Causing the team to accomplish the work of God in Corinth. You're carnal. You're spiritually immature. And as a result, verse 3 says, there's strife among you. Envy, strife, divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one says, I'm a Paul, someone else says, I'm of Apollos." Are you not carnal? This is a picture of spiritual immaturity and of hero worship. It's a picture of problems. But here's what I want you to really see. And that's the second picture. It's the picture of a team solution to the problems. Look in verse number 5. The apostle Paul said, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Look at verse number 7. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. In other words, this is all about God, not about Paul. I was the missionary, Paul said. I was the missionary that went there. I laid the foundation. I preached the gospel. I led you to Christ. I laid a foundation in Corinth, and then I left, and Apollos came along. Apollos came in, and he preached, and he built on that foundation, but who are we? We're nobodies. We're just ministers. We're just slaves, servants. God's the one who did this thing. God's the one who gets all the accolades. The team captain is the one who gets the accolades because he worked with the team, building on their strengths, putting them together, maturing their lives That as a team, they might be able to accomplish something great. God's the one who's behind all this. And the team captain is the one who gets the accolades. Well, who were the team members? Paul and Apollos are mentioned by name. They're just instruments. Verse number 8 said that. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. We we plant, we water. Verse number 9, he says, we are laborers together with God. In verse number 10, according to the grace of God given to me as a wise master. It was the grace of God working through Paul. It was the grace of God working through Apollos. God is the hero. God is the one to be worshipped. God is the one to get the accolades. God is the one at work. When I met Chuck and Susie on Friday for the first time, I'd heard about Chuck. John had told me about Chuck. When I met Chuck... And I turned to him and I said, so Chuck, 20 years ago you began to witness to your friend and pray for your friend and he said, said, God's the one. He just used me. But it was God the one that did it. That's exactly what this passage says. Who's Chuck? God is the one that was at work. Chuck was just the tool in God's hand. The wrench in the hand of the mechanic. No one goes into a garage and goes over to the tool chest, opens it up and gets out some tools and said, you did a great job fixing my car today. Now we go to the mechanic who used the tool, said, you are amazing. And what you did through this tool, this old greasy wrench, God's the hero. We're the servants that he uses. We labor together as instruments And yet God in His grace and mercy, He uses us and then He rewards us for for being in the place to be used. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8 says, He that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Isn't that amazing? Of God, even though He's the one that does it all, even though He's the one that's the hero. When I put myself at his disposal, and I say, God, would you use me? And I give out that track. I pray. I witness. I share Christ. I'm nothing but a a servant. Doing what I was told to do. If anything good happens, it's all him. And yet, in his grace, he rewards everyone who's willing to be used. He rewards us according to our own labor. You know, we don't all labor the same. We don't all give God as much of ourselves as somebody else gives God of themselves. We're all going to be rewarded according to how God worked through us in the lives of others. According to our labor, He'll reward us. But it's God who does the work. And notice in verse number 8 again. Notice that the team members work together as a team. Verse number 8 says, He that planteth and he that watereth are one. One what? One team. One team working together. God working through that one team of human beings. Paul that went and preached. Paulus, Others, the team all working together for a common goal, a common purpose. And God did the miraculous thing of using what they did to accomplish something supernatural and miraculous and we give all praise to God but God turns around and he looks back at us and says but I'm going to reward you according to your labor I'm going to reward you for what you've done. What does all this mean? It means that God is at work whenever there is a team of people willing to work together. God is at work. You've seen demonstrated before you this morning that 20 years ago, two men, a guy by the name of Chuck and a guy by the name of John, were both law, uh, officers of the law, both in law enforcement. They met each other, and they struck up a friendship. They became part of the same motorcycle club. They spent time together. They rode together. They talked together. One was saved and one was lost. One was on his way to heaven. One was on his way to hell. Now John wasn't a bad guy. He was a religious man. He had embraced Judaism in his early life. He was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. As an adult, he converted to Roman Catholicism and embraced Catholicism. He was a religious man. But he wasn't saved. He was a lost religious man. He was a religious man who had religion, but he didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ personally. And he had a friend that knew that. And so he had a friend that shared Christ with him and prayed for him for 20 years. 20 years of sowing, 20 years of watering, 20 years of witnessing and praying. That John would come to the point that he would realize he needed something that he didn't have. He needed someone that he didn't have. And finally, after 20 years, God began to stir in his heart. He's at a computer. He's looking for a church that preaches the gospel. He knew the term evangelical. Evangelical. Evangelical comes from the word evangelism or evangelistic. It's all about sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are lost. He knew enough to know that he needed to find a church that had to do with evangelism. So he looked for an evangelistic church. And God popped up on the screen, Community Baptist Church. Now we have somebody else on a team working for John's soul. He had Chuck and Susie on the team. But now he's got Epiphras on the team. Who designed and maintains our website. Who didn't know anything about John. And until just now, he didn't know anything about John finding our church in his search for Christ. By using the website that Epiphras created and that Epaphras maintains. And then he, he came, and then he met some of you. So more people joined the team. So more people began to interface and interact with John. John filled out a connection card. He, on the connection card, he asked for information about how to get saved. I don't know if you remember filling that out, but I saw it. He wrote a note on it. I'd like to know how to get saved. So Pastor Ryan went visiting, shared the gospel, gave him a gospel book. More on the team. More on the team. Kerry Schmidt now's on the team. He wrote the book. More on the team. And then, we just happened to be the blessed people at the end of the road who got to pluck the ripe fruit off the tree. He didn't get saved because of CBC. Someone else had worked for 20 years. We just plucked the ripe fruit off the tree when god had done the work for 20 years in the man's heart what is this all about this is all about understanding that this is god's work we're just ministers and servants god will use us and we are a team of people working together to do something that will bring honor and glory to god when when john received christ as his savior at the end of reading the book and praying and asking Christ to come into his life and save him, he called Chuck and he said, Chuck, I gave my life to Christ. And Chuck told me Friday, he said, I was ready to pray the sinner's prayer with him. He just felt that John was just another step closer. And he was ready to pray with him on the phone and pray what is commonly called the sinner's prayer, just praying out and asking God to come into my life and save me from my sins. And John said, I've already done that. I already prayed it. I already received Christ into my life as my Savior. Chuck sent him a Bible. said, you need to be reading the Bible. John showed me the Bible. John showed me, talked about the lessons he's been, been studying, the, the parts of the Bible he's been reading, and showed me his journal since November, page after page after page after page, writing out what God had taught him, what God had done in his life, what God was doing. He bought a whole case of these books, started giving them out to all the people he loved so they could could be introduced to the same Jesus that saved him from his sin. He wanted his friends, family, loved ones, people he knew, he wanted them to have what he had. Someone once said, "That's, that's what Christianity is all about. One beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. There was a time when they used to take a piece of chalk and when... When they found a home that was sympathetic and we would give them a loaf of bread, they'd put an X on the, out on the street. And then other beggars would know that's a place that's going to. Wouldn't it be great if there was an X on the back on your back and the unsaved people knew that you were someone who could give them the gospel? That, that's what Christianity's all about. One beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. And so John began to give to others. The avenue that God had used to bring him to Christ. John didn't get saved because of CBC. John got saved because of 20 years of work. By someone who prayed. And witnessed and prayed and witnessed. And then it was a blessing. That God allowed us to be the ones to pick the fruit at the end. God used Pastor Ryan. God used the book that, that uh, Carrie Schmidt wrote. And, and now since then, God's been using you, who have befriended John, who prayed for John, using Nick Lepedo, who's mentoring John. We're a team. You know, we can't do this thing as individuals. We've got to be a team who works together. Yesterday, I don't know, five, six, seven guys, I can't remember how many went out and and, and, and reached somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 homes. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We sowed seed. I don't know if any of those people will ever get saved. But I can't do the whole thing. But I can plant some seed. And I can pray as I did yesterday God. Would you use this? Would some home. That gets this gospel material. Be someone who has had a friend praying for them for 20 years that we don't even know about. I wonder how many people around us out here God has been working in their lives for 20 years to bring them to salvation, and we don't know who they are, and we don't know where they are, and we don't know anything about them. But but we can we can plant some seed, we can water some seed, and we can leave it to the Lord of the harvest to do the miracle part of getting that seed to the right person, of watering that seed at the right home and at the right moment of time. And that God will bring this person into that person's life. God will bring this church. God will bring this influence, this radio program, whatever. And a team of people that don't even know each other will work together For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ in one person's life. And when we get to heaven. Remember the song Gary used to sing? When we get to heaven we'll see the faces of those that we never even knew we influenced. I pray one day I'll meet some people and see the faces of people. That that got a gospel of John and Romans off their front door. That I put on it. And I never knew. What happened with it? And I didn't know what God did in that person's life at that point or the next year or 10 years later. Then one day I get the opportunity to realize I was a part of a team that God used in a miraculous way. That's what this is all about. That's what the Apostle Paul so desperately wanted in Corinth. He wanted these people that were fighting with each other and weren't getting along to become a team of people who knew that they couldn't do it all, but they can do something. They can contribute to the cause of the team winning the game. And God can use them as he has used us over the last few months in the life of John Weinstein. You see, we're like a farm. There's a couple of illustrations. I'm going to close this up, but there's a couple of illustrations in this text you can read and meditate on. He said in verse number, uh, verse number nine, we're like a we're, we're like a farm. We're, we're a God's husbandry. We're God's field. We're God's farm. And Paul said, I planted the seed. Somebody else came along and watered the seed. Somebody else cultivated the seed, the, the 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 seed. But God with supernatural miraculous power, God had to cause that seed to germinate and had to cause that seed to grow and produce fruit. I can plant seed, I can't make it germinate. I can water seed, I can't make it produce fruit. He said, we're like a building. He said, I came and I laid the foundation, I preached Christ and laid the foundation as a master builder. And then others came in and built on that foundation. This passage is an amazing passage using the building of a building to illustrate the life of a church. And every building material is a person. The context of this passage is a church built out of people. And some people are like gold and silver and precious stone. And some people are like wood, hay and stubble. The difference between them is longevity. The difference between them is durability. The difference between the different materials that are used to build the building, and build the building in the illustration, build the church, have varying degrees of usefulness. And he said that one day, God's going to judge that church, how well it played together as a team. How well it accomplished the goal and purpose that he had for it. And some of the people are just going to be burnt up, wood, hand, stubble. They never participated, they never got involved, they never became a vital team member that, that, that enabled the team to win the game. But there are others that are like gold and silver and precious stone. They're the ones that work together as a team. And God used to help win the, win the game. The illustrations are powerful. The illustration of a farm and the illustration of a building. Now what do we take away from the truth of this passage of scripture? What, what is it that, that, that we walk away from and, and understand the value of in our lives individually and purpose, purpose in our lives? Well that depends on whether you're saved or not. If you're here today like John was before November... this past year religious good man but no personal relationship with Christ no understanding of the gospel what do you take away from a message like this you need to understand that the gospel call that God issues is not conveyed by religion it's not conveyed by religious deeds it's not conveyed by religious ceremonies It's not conveyed by any effort that you will ever be able to do to appease God or earn His favor. Religion is man-made. Religion doesn't get you into heaven. A person gets you into heaven. What do you walk away from a message like this with? With maybe the knowledge that the gospel call is all about God rescuing you from you. God rescuing you from your sins. God rescuing you from the eternal judgment of hell because you're a sinner. These people in Corinth were just like their culture and then the gospel came and they were rescued out of that culture. They were saved out of that sin. When they came to the point that they realized I am a sinner before my creator and then Paul comes in and preaches the gospel that Jesus... God became human, went to the cross, took your sins upon his back. He died in your place. He paid your penalty. You think you're good enough to go to heaven? Take another look at the cross. What you're seeing is what God thinks of your sin. What they did to Jesus when he took your place is what you deserved for God to do to you if you meet him without a savior. And When those people in Corinth came to the point in their lives where they realized they were sinners on their way to hell and then they heard how God became man, how God died on the cross, how God took their place, paid the eternal debt for their sinfulness and then offered them salvation as a gift that you can't earn, a gift you cannot buy, a gift that you'll never deserve. And God said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God said, come now, reason with me. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come talk to me about you. Come talk to me about where you are in relationship to me. Come talk to me about your sinfulness that you will be sent to hell for. And when you come to that point in your life where you realize the All the work's already done. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try to appease God. The work's already done. It was done by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And God offers you forgiveness. No ceremony will ever give you that forgiveness. No ritual will ever give you that forgiveness. No church will ever give you that forgiveness. But you go to God and you say, Oh my God, I have sinned against you. I am guilty before you. If I lived to be 200 years old, I could never earn your favor. But I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place, that he suffered my sin for me, and that you've offered me the gift of eternal life. I accept your gift. Save me from my sin. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Just like that, God reaches down and takes you out of the kingdom of Satan, according to Colossians 1, and he puts you into the kingdom of his dear son. He takes you out of the family of Satan. Jesus said to religious people, ye are of your father the devil, and the works of your father ye do. He takes even religious people out of the family of Satan, and he puts them into the family of Jesus Christ, and we become children of God through salvation. In a moment, our lives are transformed by the power of a compassionate, gracious God who wants to take us to heaven to live with Him forever and forever. Oh, no. that if you know any Christians, they are a team of people whose job it is to pray for you and witness to you, and try to be a part of the team effort to bring you to Jesus Christ. Now, if you're already saved, what do you take away? You don't need to feel pressure of doing everything to get a person from lostness to spiritual maturity. You just got to be a part of the team doing what you can do. You can water seeds that have been sown by further gospel discussion and by prayer. You can trust God to work in invisible ways, convicting and drawing people to Christ. And when someone does get saved, you can become a mentor and mentor them with sequoia to help them grow and develop in their Christian life. You can pour yourself into the life of others for the sake of the gospel. You can be a part of a team that works together to make a difference. In people's lives.